ANZ Most Prestigious Media and Marketing Awards, the Mumbrella Awards, are returning on August 4th, 2022. Join us at the Australian Turf Club, Winks Pavilion, to celebrate the best work and talent across the marketing, advertising, media, production, PR and communications sectors. This is your chance to put any groundbreaking work on display, get recognised by the industry and take home a win. Entries submitted before the first entry deadline on April 22nd will save you $100. Head to mumbrella.com.au forward slash mumbrella awards to enter. Hello and welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm your host, Callum Jasmine, and today we have something slightly different for you. For this Mumbrella Cast special edition, I welcome to our very own Mumbrella studio, Thinkerbell Sydney General Manager, Katie Daly. Thank you for having me. Trinity P3 CEO and founder, Darren Woolley. Hello. And Director of Content and Customer Engagement at IAG, Zara Kurzis. Good day. Thanks for joining me. Today, we're going to be discussing the pitch At the start of this year, the UK industry bodies, the IPA and ISBA, announced plans for the Pitch Positive Pledge, looking to transform the way business is pitched for and won in the UK, as well as addressing some of the long-standing well-being issues that pitching poses. It has been a very well-discussed point of discussion here in Australia, and we figured now might be a good time to have a proper discussion on the podcast about it. A good and simple place to start for each of you, uh, maybe... Zara, we'll start with you. Should the industry get rid of pitches? Being client side for four years, um, having worked on the supplier side, I know the pros and cons of both situations. And I think pitches aren't a great experience for everyone. If you, the question should be why you're pitching in the first place would be in my opinion and trying to understand that. I wouldn't speak on behalf of the industry. I think it's personal and where you're actually at in your business. There are a lot of pressure on marketers at the moment and I think that's often what drives a pitch. Um, the question is why are you pitching in the first place and what do you want from a partner and you need to be pretty clear on that. So ditching it um, is a pretty big topic and I think it comes down to your personal situation. Katie? Uh, Bold headline, should we ditch the pitch? I think pitches absolutely have their place. Uh, The focus really needs to be on what's the process around the pitch and is that set up for success? And I think looking at what the IPA have been doing, their focus has been on sort of wellbeing and and the toll on, on mental health. And so the other part of pitching is to think that there are people who are at the heart of who are actually delivering the outcomes there and how do we make sure that we remember that people are involved in in that process and just kind of rewiring, I think, how we attack pitches so that we're thinking about those people on the journey and, and what they're giving up and, and what they're inputting as, as a result. And Dan? Look, I think the biggest problem is that uh, the industry's fallen into a, a, a trap of thinking that pitching has to be done a certain way, you know, things like speculative creative or filling out pages and pages of mindless RFPs is not the way to choose a creative partner. And so what we need to do is bring about a change to the process so that it's actually much more focused on the success you want to achieve rather than just running the same mindless pitch process. And secondly, I think procurement has done a particular harm when they start saying things like at the end of every contract, we have to go to market. Because pitching is great for selecting a new agency, but it is the worst possible way of actually reviewing your current agency 
if they're already performing well, because the numbers show us that uh, an incumbent only has a one in four chance of winning a pitch. And there's a lot of reasons for that, one of them being that the pitch process is flawed at reviewing performance. And I, I know this is something we've kind of discussed previously off air, Dan, and it's, it's maybe a trend that you mentioned we're seeing a little bit increasing, and that is sort of just the reviews. Uh, would there, I guess, moving forward, be a way to sort of implement that you mentioned there with procurement so that you're not instantly going to those sort of pitches at the end of a contract? Yeah, I think the belief that the only way to ensure that a contract has met due diligence and governance is to go to open tender is not one that applies to an area where you're actually buying a relationship and a in a, a codependent relationship. You know, it's not like we, everyone says we're not buying widgets. We're not even buying basic services. We're buying solutions to business problems that rely on both parties actually developing a respect and an understanding to work together to come up with the best solution. And so this idea that just because you've got to the end of a contract, you naturally have to go to market is flawed. And it's really poor thinking because if you've got a great relationship with an agency, just because it's been going three years doesn't mean you need to go out and get seven more agencies pitching against them because here's the problem seven agencies that don't work with you will promise you the world with no accountability to deliver i said to a procurement person in new york you know this how long have you been married for they said seven years i said imagine going home to your partner and saying it's been a great seven years but i'm going to sleep around with a few people for three or four months and then come back to you and decide whether i'm going to stick with you for another seven years it's exactly the same proposition. You're not comparing like with like. The relationship you have with your agency is a deeper relationship than just a vendor one. I love that analogy, Darren, because it is a relationship. It is a partnership. And so we absolutely shouldn't be just defaulting to divorce. Actually, there's marriage counselling there for a reason. The average 10 years of relationships now tend to be sort of, what, two to three years. Back in kind of Mad Men days, it was more like 10 plus and then some. So I think that plays in, into it as well. You know, let's be less promiscuous and be more willing to to kind of sew into the relationship Lots side of, of P things. words being thrown around. And I think <laughs> the biggest one we're all talking about is people. Yeah. You're actually buying people. You might be pitching, there might be procurement, but can we work with these people? Are we working well with these people? And that's part of the relationship that Darren messaged um, message before as well. I think as a client, there's one thing that we've done and that's we've got a procurement guy in our team who works for marketing and understand the needs and that's been a game changer for us to have that sit with us and be at the executive uh, table making these decisions to really understand the business from a people perspective, from a partnership perspective, not just a procurement perspective. And has that sort of played into the way that uh, IAG has been engaging agencies? I know on the media side, you had a pretty lengthy relationship with uh, Mindshare until last year moving to Initiative and then you've got a sort of um, a more of a panel of agencies on the creative side. What was the sort of thought process in building that approach? We don't like to go to pitch. I don't think anybody does um, and our philosophy is pay to pitch um, and be fair and business partners. But, you know, it's four years ago since 
our CEO five years ago since our CMO came on board and four since we were there and our business has grown and our needs have changed. So it's usually about a business driving decision um, as well as the people and the skill sets that we actually need. But we would like to think we do it as fairly as we can. Um, and it's great to hear and you're living, you know, your, um, your objectives. Unfortunately, our experience is that that's relatively small in, in total representation. And the idea that uh, marketers don't like to pitch, you know, I, I was listening to um, Andrew Loudon at ISBAR and he's saying, oh, pitching so onerous on marketers, you know, it's so time consuming. Except it's amazing how many CMOs or heads of marketing, the first thing they do after appointment, within six months, they've put all their agencies to tender. So you'd have to say that there's a mindset in the industry that this is something that should be done as a routine. It's a way of putting a stamp on a new position. It's a way of uh, getting agencies better aligned. This is the mentality. In actual fact, I agree with you. It's incredibly costly and disruptive to the business. But that doesn't seem to even enter into the considerations by a large number of um, marketing decision makers. Yeah, I think um, IAG is a great example of those that sort of go against the grain, to be honest, and it's looking at, at organisations like IAG to help shift that, Darren, and help lead the charge and lead by example because I think the more we can see that behaviourally coming through, hopefully, and, and the more agencies are responding to that, the better we will see, you know, a shift as a result. And you don't always get it right. I think it's about trying to be human in the process and fair and understand that we're all running businesses with pressures. I don't think we're always perfect. That's not the case. But we definitely think about it a lot. And it's a big discussion in our business. And we mentioned at the top some of those kind of uh, human tolls that, that pitching can have on, in particular, on agency staff. Casey, do you think that COVID has reframed some of that at all? Do you think, because now obviously the discussion has, you know, it's been around for a while, but now we're addressing it again, hopefully at the back end of lockdowns. How do you think it has changed the, the kind of dialogue around it? I definitely think COVID has sort of shone a new light on the pressures that pitching can can bring upon and if we think about it over the last two years we have literally had a, a portal into everyone's personal situation and space in their homes and I think with that we've seen the the real kind of blurring of, of boundary between life and work and so because of that people don't necessarily feel like they are able to kind of take a stock of their situation and and make decisions accordingly. So, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things we did at Thinkabell was when we were in pitch mode, we just said we won't do pitch meetings on a Monday. And that was really, really important for us because we knew that if we, we did any kind of pitch meeting on a Monday, everyone would work all weekend. We know that there is a significant toll in terms of weekend work, overtime and burnout. There are so many stats around that and, and we have to be aware of those. And I think just helping guide the clients in that process to be really clear on on the boundaries that the agency will set around that process to to protect our people that's just one of the things that we've done but I, I do think yeah. that's really important and I, I mean from my perspective it seems like maybe an interesting time to be talking about it because the conversation has gone beyond you know just the kind of financial cost I know a few years ago at a Mumbrella event um, Matt Baxter did a keynote speech on his ditch the kit the Ditch the pitch campaign, and I think the number he threw out was it was around three hundred thousand dollars for your standard pitch. 
do you think it is that sort of human element that's kind of coming into the cost side of things that might maybe? Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, people start talking about money, but in actual fact, there's a fatal flaw in the way agencies actually remunerate their staff, okay? So an agency cannot afford to have staff that are not fully engaged in delivering a client's needs, apart from the ones that they throw into overhead, such as finance people or a receptionist or an EA. Almost all the agency staff people are 100% or more committed to client business, and they're getting remunerated to have those people. When a pitch comes along, you know, one of the things we have to explain to a lot of marketers is the agency's not sitting there twiddling their thumbs, waiting for your brief to hit. They actually have to have those people that are already 100% committed doing extra work, which is why the culture of late nights with pizza and beer, God forsake, you know, is the where the pitch exists, working weekends, to Katie's point, you know. And yet those people don't get paid. You know, the... Um, the uh, ouch factor that uh, Julia mm. did, um, the Arshu did uh, last year, you know, and we, we helped her with that. You know, she was saying, oh, it's uh, $44,000 uh, that the agency, in, in agency time, that they're not getting paid for. But even if you pay the agency for that, will that go to the staff that have worked unpaid overtime? No. So we're not actually solving the problem. The problem is that pitching is so labour-intensive and so onerous for agencies that we've got to come up with a more efficient way of selecting agencies so that it's not taking them hundreds of hours. Because even if you pay the agency for the pitch, that's just going to go to the bottom line or a bit of cost recovery. It's not actually going to pay the staff for their overtime because the industry doesn't pay overtime. And that's the flaw. Yeah, I think... Billable time is a really interesting one. We're at Thinkable making pretty concerted effort to make sure that people are not billed at over 100%. And I think that's really important because we need to make sure there is some capacity to be taking on new business opportunities. But in addition to that, I think when we're making decisions about what pitches we will take on, it's thinking about our existing clients as well and what's in the pipeline with them and making sure that they're not going to be neglected based on what's coming in. So there's a really delicate balance of, you know, looking after existing, looking culturally at whether what's coming down the pipeline is right, how that affects the staff. I think I must spend hours and hours of my week having conversations about sort of capacity planning at a leadership level and making sure that that burden is not going to be felt by the people. So it is, it's a tricky balance, definitely. So I guess, yeah, that was, that was one of the, the points I wanted to bring up. Do you find that it has in previous times impacted the, the clients that you already have? Um, I, I think we make really intentional decisions around whether we take something on or not for that exact reason. And if we've got really important projects in the works, we have a really hard look at whether or not they will be impacted by taking something else on. And we're really deliberate about the people that we will put on a pitch with that in mind. It's really critical for us. Yep. First and foremost, existing clients, absolutely, because they're the ones that are you know, helping create the culture and facilitate the great work that the agency is outputting. So. So there's a couple of points that um, have kind of been mentioned that it would be interesting to talk about, and that would be, I guess, reframing why a client would go to pitch. Um, first of all, it would be interesting to get each of your thoughts on, you know, that I guess reframing why and when an, uh, a client should go to pitch. And then I guess a couple of points about um, the transparency that comes with that. You know, it's something we spoke about, Katie, about, you know, 
who is pitching, you kind of need to know what the client is looking for rather than be blind to the whole approach. Um, Zara, in your opinion, um, what should it really be taking for for a, a client to be looking to, I guess, re-engage a new agency? Speaking from from my opinion and, and our business, it's usually quite a big shift in a business need and focus, which comes from a strategic point of view, first of all. It's not a, a marketer's whim um, and desire to do that. So really it comes strategically. Um, it can happen every couple of years and the shift is usually quite seismic in our cases and just making sure that we do have the right partners. Now, you saw us reappoint CHEP when we pitched our one-to-one business. Um, Our business shifted. We had a very honest conversation about that. We needed to feel very comfortable that we could get where we needed to be. It was a genuine pitch. We were genuinely looking um, and we were reassured by what we saw. So for us, it's from a strategic point of view first and a seismic shift in stretch where we really have to be quite confident that we need to go and make sure that we're comfortable we've got the right agency partner to deliver that shift. Yeah, look, um, we spend a lot of time, you know, the phone rings and you get an email and it's someone saying, I need a new agency. And we spend a lot of time really understanding why they need a new agency. Because, you know, to Zara's point, it's a major strategic shift, which has then required different, you know, skill sets. And you want to make sure that you've got those skill sets. It could also be that the relationship has gone through a sort of natural cycle and has got to the point that it's not recoverable. Um, it could be that, uh, you know, that, and, and in both of those, you know, it, there's a big question about whether you include the incumbent. You know, you can include them, but you have to be aware that in most cases they're behind the eight ball. You know, they're really not in the box seat uh, because they're defending their position, whereas they're up against everyone else that's being new and shiny and desirable. Beyond that, I find it really hard to justify. And so you mentioned Matt Baxter. You know, when Matt came out and said, ditch the pitch, we started thinking, what is what is available to actually review agencies? And we, we came up with this idea of a commercial review. And it's really interesting because we went to our clients and we went to agencies to talk about this. When I look at the numbers last year, 60% of our media pitches, So that's people that came to us wanting to pitch their media. Through those conversations, we converted them into a commercial review. And this is looking at resources, funds, contracts, performance, everything about it. Beyond, you know, relationship, but we don't do a relationship measure because we've actually found that relationship scores are the least predictive of a pitch, interestingly. So we do that. In 60% of those pitch, uh, what were going to be pitches, we converted to reviews. Every single one then extended the contract for another three years with that agency because what we offered them was a scorecard for the marketer and the agency on the things that they needed to work on to improve. And that was then mutually beneficial. Both sides could see that they had responsibility in the performance of this relationship. And I think that's where we've lost as an industry, potentially lost sight because this procurement mentality of buyer-supplier has forgotten that the performance actually has responsibility on both sides of that ledger 
and that we're inclined to think that underperformance is the agency's fault, when often it's actually driven by the market. So is that just a very mature way to have a grown-up conversation and get accountability and transparency on needs? Is that yeah. what you're saying, Darren? Yeah, yeah. And, and look, I think being an independent third party. Yeah, you can get it there. We've we've spoken to a lot of agencies and they've gone, oh, God, you know, we've had so many conversations, but it's falling on deaf ears because I think so many marketers are so cynical or they're time poor or perhaps they just don't even care that when the agency is actually providing them feedback, like if you did it this way rather than this way, there's a part of it that's, well, I either can't be bothered or you're just trying to make it easier on yourself. Whereas as a third party coming in and just saying, hey, if you do this, then the agency can do this and this is the improved value and performance you'll get, is then making people sit down and say, right, I'm happy to commit for another three years. And getting clear on what you actually want and, together. And, and a measure of performance because, you know, one of the things I hate about the, all those relationships, relationship scores are great, but only from identifying where you need to do more work. You know, uh, I don't know if you know, everyone's heard of TRR, the relationship rating or ranking or something, a lot of agencies run it. And I was surprised the number of agency CEOs that would be phoning me and saying, hey, we're getting like eight, nine or 10 out of 10 from our clients and they're still taking us to pitch. Now, that's ridiculous. If the client fills in a relationship score that tells you you're getting 10 out of 10, you know, an NPS would say that's the best score you could get and yet they're going to pitch. Why? Because procurement, Finance are driving a commercial objective here that supersedes relationship and, and customer satisfaction and leaves the company open to getting a new agency with all the risk inherent in that. Because, you know, we have to explain to marketers, while you're in your six-month honeymoon period with your new agency, you're actually doing about 20% more work bringing them up to the same speed that your incumbent that you just fired already had. You know, there is so many things wrong with the way the industry approach, approaches this pitch process. They think it's a panacea to solve problems. It's not. It's, it has one function and one function only, select an agency. And it's got nothing to do with performance or anything else. This may not come as a surprise to any of you, but I've never been part of a pitch process. Um, these commercial assessments, how would that work in terms of something like a creative uh, pitch where or a creative review where it's maybe a little bit more subjective? Well, what we do, and, and the methodology is quite easy, we do interviews with both sides to get some uh, qualitative feedback, but then we look at the scope of work delivered by the agency, how does that stack up to the resources they have in place, how does the resourcing mix, you know, senior, mid-level, junior, how's, you know, because often the agency in the pitch got screwed in the negotiations and so they've ripped out all the senior and middle people and filled it with juniors, which is why the client's feeling underwhelmed by the quality of the people. We're looking for all those things, all of the commercial impacts, including their satisfaction with the quality of the creative work, but then also how do they get to the creative work? What's the quality of the briefing? How much time's allowed? What's the feedback process? Is there multi-layers that are slowing the process down? You know, we look at every aspect of it and quantify it so that both parties can have a 
to your point, Sarah, a grown-up, mature discussion about how can we do this better rather than just running off and finding a new agency. But you make a good point, Cal. I think more often than not what we see being a creative agency is that if it can't be solved commercially, what clients are generally and hopefully genuinely looking for is a better creative result. And that is difficult because it is subjective. But I think as long as we know that is the genuine ask at the beginning, then the outcome as a result of that is tends to be um, as per what, what's required. Yeah, look, I agree, Katie, but, you know, that's the other thing is it's so subjective. It is. You know, the number of clients that phone up and go, we want a better creative product. Could we have Thinkabell, Monkeys, you know, any number of high-profile creative agencies on the list because they think that's how you get better creative? No offence, but I've seen clients appoint those high-profile creative agencies only to produce really ordinary work, not because the agency's not up to it, but the client's not up to it. If you want to ride a thoroughbred, you need to learn how to ride a thoroughbred. You don't get off a draft horse and ride a thoroughbred and hope that you're going to get a comfortable ride. And you've got to ride five at once. That's pretty challenging. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And Zara, the two of the agencies, including Katie's uh, Thinkabell there, you have on your roster. How, how does it kind of work in terms of picking the right agency for each project? That's a good question. I think um, as our business has evolved, that has changed over time. But to Darren's point, the biggest thing is you've got to have the right kind of people your side. And if you look at the team that Brent's built and that, you know, we've put around us as executives, they're pretty seasoned. Um, and we question and challenge ourselves a lot on that. Um, we know when we're not good enough and when we've got to step up. But it's 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 an interesting question. It's constantly something we discuss. Who is the right agency for the business problem that we have to solve is always where we start to come from. And then it comes down to nuances around delivery, um, timeliness, et cetera. But you really do mean, need to be match fit your side. And we're pretty transparent, as Katie will tell you, when we're not or when our agency is. So there's dual accountability there if you're going to take on that. And Katie, you've, you're kind of thinking is that it should move rather than getting rid of the pitch, sort of moving it to a project-based approach. I think if you could dig yeah, into that a bit absolutely. more. I think that's one option. What we're seeing a lot of, and I do think this is coming off the back of COVID, we're seeing the emergence of a lot of new businesses, a lot of entrepreneurs and startups, which is great from an economy point of view, but there's sort of a default position from marketers in those new roles where they're just assuming that the, that the pitch is the right way forward. And with those pitches are sort of coming five, six, up to 10 agencies involved in that process um, and very, very small budgets. And I think actually this is where the process is really, really important. We need to be thinking and educating marketers to instead of defaulting to the pitch, consider would a paid project actually be a better outcome here? Because we've spoken about the importance of people and if the right people are engaged and if you can actually build that chemistry through a paid project, then you both win. The agency is paid for their work. The client is understanding how that agency operates. And as a result, at the end of that paid project, the client can then decide whether the relationship should should go beyond or whether it wasn't quite right and, and they move on. But it, I just think it's a more respectful way of engaging an agency relationship and also just knowing their 
their budgets a little bit better. Yeah. You know, sometimes we're having conversations about a $50,000 project that is fee production media and uh, and you kind of go, hmm, probably not pitch worthy against five other agencies. It's it's an, it's an interesting time, I think, what, what certainly what we're experiencing. And look, you know, I, I, this frustrates me so much. Because, really, Darren? <laughs> because, um, you know, one of the issues, again, procurement, we'll have conversations with procurement saying, how much is this contract worth? Oh, we can't tell you because we have to keep that secret. Mm. Well, what's the selection process? Oh, we don't, you know, we, we've, then they'll game it. So, we, you know, they're expecting agencies to pitch. And I just wish as an industry, the agencies would respect themselves and tell them to get stuffed, yeah. you know, really. We've got to, except that they won't. There are so many agencies that will just keep putting their hand up that it reinforces to procurement and marketers that agencies will do anything. Now, we know that the really good agencies won't do it, but they don't see any difference, you know. Um, we've had clients that have, uh, I'm glad you said, you know, that you'll do work for 50000 because we have clients that go, uh, we'll, we've got a project for 50000 and we'd like uh, to put, Thinkabell on the list. You're back on the list. You know, we would have said, well, you know, Adam doesn't get out of bed for half a million. So <laughs> I don't think I said we'd commit to that. I said an example is 50,000. Well, you know, it's on the records. <laughs> but, you know, is that not one of those cases where, is there, you know, as you say, there's always going to be someone who is willing to do it for less? How do you then hold people to bad behavior? That's a, to that's a dirty account? race to the bottom, isn't it? It really is. I think there's a problem with the word pitch because it means sales and selling. And I think if you're actually looking for the quality of work and the assessment that you're talking about, Darren and Katie, then it's less about the sell and the sizzle and more about what's when the rubber hits the road. And pitching is about selling and winning and that's addictive as well um, for, for some agencies. But really um, for all of us, maybe it's about looking at what that actually means and being able to say no um, is going to work out for everyone in the long run. So getting more transparent up front before that pitch is called sounds like we're all fiercely aligned on that and I think something that that probably should shift. I absolutely agree. And since 2007, we've put the focus on workshops. You know, this idea, it's a pitch presentation. A presentation's one directional. Yeah. You know, the agency, the client sends out the brief and the agency comes and presents their solution. That's not how it works in the real world. So what we've been doing since 2007 is getting through a filtering process down to three agencies and then getting the client to commit to at least a full half-day or full-day workshop so that you can actually test drive the agency and work on a problem together. Now, it's really interesting because we want to get rid of the creative part because that's only valid if you're buying a single solution, but you're not buying a single solution. You're buying a longer-term relationship where creating ideas will be in the hundreds over, say, three-year periods. But it's amazing how many uh, marketers will just want the agency to do a few creative expressions of the strategy because it's the way that they then sell it in-house. But we try and avoid that as much as possible because it's not a fair comparison because one agency could fluke in a solution even based on poor strategic thinking 
you know, and then the client falls in love with the solution, yet you're not buying the solution to your point earlier, Sarah. You're buying a team, but I think more importantly, you're buying a culture. Because one of the things that worries me about talking about people, the team, is that agencies, people will change. As long as the senior management team that are setting the culture of the place don't change radically, what we've noticed is that, you know, they'll still recruit people to replace those. And so we avoid this thing of, well, I appointed this agency and creative team left, so now I need to run another business. I don't think that's enough reason to change agencies. Yeah, I agree. And as a marketer, I mean, you should have your finger on the pulse as to who is doing great work. Exactly. And you should know and be monitoring their track record as well. That shouldn't be a surprise. Um, that's kind of part of the rationale and decision-making for, for, for doing that. Absolutely. You made an interesting point earlier, Darren, about, you know, let's not do the ta-da moment with the pitch presentation. I often find myself in conversations, particularly when Adam's a part of them, where he'll say, we're not good at pitching, actually. Let's not pitch. Let's actually get in a room with you and do what we'd call a think tank or a tink tank and actually get under the skin of the business and, and work through the solution together because that's when the chemistry comes alive. That's when we can actually understand the business. And that's where you'll reap a much better result than putting a creative concept on the table that, to your points, are right. If you're looking widely enough, you should have a good enough view as to what agencies are performing and the work should speak for itself as opposed to that needing to be the solution. Yeah, creative is a very difficult benchmark as the first point of call. It's definitely a big, big part of the process, um, but I agree. And is it easy to get the, the client to agree to that if you've got a client who is, I guess, wanting to go to pitch and see the best of the best? Sometimes it depends on the nature of the client, I think. And sometimes we just like to shake it up a little bit and, and go against the grain. And we don't, we will often say no to something if we don't think it's right. And we'll throw an alternative on the table. And I think we often make a decision about whether or not we're happy to walk away from it before we put that option on the table. And I think you've, you've got to be clear as to what the opportunity cost is in, in what's on the table before you can kind of feel comfortable and confident around that decision. From where we are now. Um, it would be interesting to get your thoughts on what from, I guess, each of your places in the market would be a realistic starting point um, to, to, to as best as we can progress this industry-wide because obviously, as you've mentioned, there are some that are committed to certain actions or certain changes, but there's also going to be some that aren't. Oh, me. To... Okay. So, so I, I feel <laughs> sort of weird being the pitch consultant saying, let's not pitch, you know. It sounds counterintuitive, but I would love to see us have uh, a lot less pitching than we have now and a lot more, you know, reviews of performance and reviews of commercial. And, you know, it's going to be really difficult for marketers in the next 12 months or more because, you know, we're already seeing salaries for agencies to retain talent are going up significantly. That's That's dramatically different to the last decade. You know, since the global financial crisis in 2007-8, salaries from our perspective have remained rather stagnant. And what worries me is the pitch is going to continue to be used to keep costs down. So I think the way forward is agencies have got to start saying, you know, we're only going to pitch if this is a legitimate process, if this is being run in a way that is going to get the best possible outcome. And if we can be guaranteed that it's not going to just be using up our people, you know, to, to Katie's point, think about 
obviously doing a lot in looking after their people, but there's a lot of agencies out there that don't. And I think as an industry, we have to hold those people accountable. Yes, they have to run their business, but they also have to be accountable for the way they're managing their people and their business in a much more ethical and sustainable way. I think um, I think we need to reevaluate the frequency of pitching. I think you make a, made a really good point, Zara, about maybe the nomenclature of the word pitch could be reassessed, and maybe that's a creative task for someone to solve. I think that the connotations with that are really interesting, but we need to reevaluate whether or not a pitch is genuinely the best way to determine the outcome that's required. If we are pitching, I think um, to speak on behalf of, of agencies, we have to be much more forthright and confident in asking the right questions. You talked about transparency earlier. And I think we have to be asking, you know, how many other agencies are in this process? What is the size of the prize at the end of it? And if we don't know all of those answers or the, the client's not willing to disclose that, then we need to be willing to say thank you, but no thank you. We recently had something that that landed on our desk. We asked those questions and we found out that there were seven other or six other agencies on the table. So the, the chance of conversion was 16.6% and we thought, mm, not worth it. And so we were able to, to yeah. pull out of that one. And I would love to see other agencies asking the same questions so that they can hold the client to account and, and make the clients feel like they should be sharing that information. It, it shouldn't feel like they need to withhold that. I think that's... That's really, really important. And and as I said earlier, I think, you know, the shift to project more so is a really valid and, and really smart way of getting brilliant outcomes. So I'd love to see clients thinking about projects more than more than pitches where it's suitable and, and where it will ensure the right business outcome. I think um, back to where we started, why are you pitching? Um, and from a from a marketer's point of view, like I I won't defend it, but there's a lot of pressure. So I think that needs to be understood. But then sitting back before the pitch and really being able to articulate what it is you're looking for and that you're not getting and be very consistent in that approach. So the right agencies can come forward in terms of the process, some sensible ideas discussed today. So I think it's the responsibility on those that are driving the pitch to maybe if it is coming from a cost perspective, challenge that. We're all under cost pressure, but be very, very clear and committed to, to that process and, and understand that there's people on the other side. Any final points anyone would like to make before we get out of here back into the lovely Sydney weather? You started with the um, mentioning ISBAR and the IPA and their um, pitch positive pledge. I'm just concerned that it will be seen as a nice thing and everyone will sign up to it and it's perfectly fine. But I'm, I'm yet to see, and they've said it's coming, what will actually drive change? Because my experience is change only happens if there's consequence of continuing to do bad behaviour. And I sometimes think that the industry bodies should be willing to call out bad behaviour. Now, they tried to do it in Canada. The uh, agency body there started doing a blacklist of clients. And I don't mean that way because, you know, there could be a bad client. What we need to do is then follow them around to each job that they've had. You know, it's, you shouldn't be um, black banning particular organisations. But I just wonder if there's something that could be done on an industry level that says here is a set of ethical standards that need to be upheld and we will hold you accountable, whether they're AA members or 
uh, IMAA or MFA or ACA, if you're going to have industry bodies, they should be willing to stand for a code of behaviour that will bring about that change because I think having another guidelines or another pledge or another, you know, is all very good. But we're talking about people's lives and, and you know, the amount of mental illness, stress, burnout that's happening means that if we're going to do something, let's make sure it works. I think my final comment would just be this is about people. It is about thinking of the toll that it's taking on them. You know, Darren, you wrote about don't pitch when Santa's arriving. And uh, and I think, you know, that's a brilliant example of who sets a pitch right before a Christmas period when we've had two years of lockdowns and no holidays. So just remember that people are, particularly from an agency perspective, they are our product. We're only as good as our people. Our ideas are only as good as our people. So if that's at the heart of every decision, then hopefully people will be a little bit more kind of um, considerate as a result. Well, Zara, Katie and Darren, thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. Great discussion. Uh, That's it for this week. Please make sure to subscribe to the Umbrella Cast on your favourite podcast platform and check the website for more content updates. We'll just say for anyone out there who knows anyone or is experiencing any trouble from the floods in New South Wales and Queensland, hope you're staying safe, as well as anyone who knows anyone or has any family members in the brain. We'll be back next week. See you then.